mostly talk out of our ass while going through the works of Mr. Young. It's Mike Shue and the Condon Boys, Trans and Harvest and Illinois. We're gonna sit and listen to each one. What's up, Bill? How you doing, man? Good. You all look like professionals. What? Really? <laughs> God. Are you not seeing the same thing I'm seeing? <laughs> semi, semi-professional. There you <laughs> go. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we. Uh, well, I, so last time we talked, uh, you were in the uh, WAF studio playing live, promoting um, promoting hot stove, cool music. It, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember it was a snowy day, like like today. Well, because yeah. it was February, probably. Yeah. That seemed like a hundred years ago. Well, Bill, uh, this is uh, Luke Condon and then Russ Condon, and uh, they're in the band Town Meeting. Excellent. And uh, this is Long May You Young, and and uh, what we started out doing is covering Neil Young's catalog by release, episode by episode. Uh, we just take a deep dive into into every album as they that includes his uh live albums it'll include the reissues uh and we've already done a couple of his films uh so it's gonna it's all encompassing uh but now we've starting to do what we call these monster episodes where we have uh guests on you know who are neil young fans and uh and just do interviews. And we've had, uh, you know, we've had Nils Lofgren on and we've had uh, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo on talking about Neil and uh, producer Danny Korchmar, who I infuriated by telling him Landing on Water was Neil's worst album. <laughs> um, yeah, that didn't go well. Uh, and uh, Surprisingly, it was still a pretty good interview. Yeah, yeah so he still talked to us. Okay. So Mike, Mike, what's, these guys, you know. Mike, what's Buffalo Tom's worst album? Do you want to yeah, just... What do you, you want to say? Right now, <laughs> Buffalo <laughs> Tom's worst album. Get out of the way. Everybody's got to have a worst album, right? I mean, yeah. yeah I oh, guess yeah. that's true. Yeah. yeah. I just say it's the least best album. Yeah, oh, yeah I like that. Go. Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have these episodes where we just uh, have interviews. We call them monster episodes. Uh, Luke came up with that because it's like the X Files, where you have that, you know, that over that story arc with Mulder, but then in between those, yeah, they would have like different monster episodes, kind okay. of standalone. I never watched that one, but I, I'm taking oh, okay. your word. We're calling you a monster. Is all you need to know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You didn't watch that because through most of the 90s, you were probably on tour, I would imagine. It's, it's actually true, yeah. I mean, I, uh, the only 90s show that I really remember watching was Seinfeld, and uh, um, but I'm sure there were others. But that's the one that sticks in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can't forget uh, that epic uh, episode of uh, My So-Called Life. That's right. That had uh, Buffalo Tom featured on it. Yeah, listen, I was too busy appearing on TV to actually watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there um, you go. Understandable. Yeah. You, we, were on, um, you were on a few a few shows, weren't you? Um, not episodic. I think we were on a cut. We were on this. <laughs> I tell this, this is one of our stories. I, I tell the story about how we were on this. Um, so I, I would come back. Do you remember this show called Catwalk? No, hmm. I don't think so. You guys no. are probably, young, probably younger. But well, I used to come back from tour and often um, I'd be sitting on the couch <clears throat> in Somerville with my, uh, excuse my voice, with my um, girlfriend, now wife. And on Saturdays, 
while she was making dinner, there was always this stupid show on called Catwalk. And it was like a Canadian's uh, mainstream television's idea of what it was like to be in an alternative rock band. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like an, a long form version of these uh, pharmaceutical ads where you see people in a band in a pharmaceutical ad. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I used to make fun of it. And um, our manager started saying, hey, uh, Oh, sorry. You know, they want you to be on the show, Catwalk. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> that show, no way. And uh, awesome. I'll, make, I'll try to make this story as short as possible. But um, we, 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 I kept saying no. The other guys, Chris and Tom in, in Buffalo Town, had no idea what this thing was. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like trust me, it, when, you don't want to be on this show. And they're like, so it kept coming back because MTV had picked it up. It was like a syndicated show. And then MTV picked it up and was running it. So it was like a big deal on MTV. And we, this is at the time where it was like horse trading to like get your video in the buzz bin or whatever else on MTV. And so they're like, you know, it would really help you at MTV. I'm like, well, how will it help us? And they're like, well, it's not a quid pro quo necessarily. But anyway, after many times of rejecting, it felt like, you know, stupidly uh, three or four or five times. I get this call. We're, on, we're in Indianapolis. And I remember waking up in this motel room and the phone's ringing. And it's, it's like... Is this Bill? I said, yeah, I guess, Bill, this is Danny Goldberg. Now, Danny Goldberg was the manager of Nirvana, and then he, oh, ran, wow. he ran Warner Brothers. We, uh, and uh, he's like, uh, yeah, so we were like licensed through Warner's Electra. And uh, he's like, well, listen, you know, I know you don't want to do this show, cat, you know, Catwalk. He's got some York accent. He's like, you know, I, listen, Bill, I know it's not Shakespeare. Uh, but, you know, it really helped MTV. I'm like, well, what are they going to do? They're not going to play our videos. Like, Bill, MTV is not the mafia. They're not going to break your legs if you don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> so we do catwalk. We go, we're in Toronto, we're playing a show. We stop by, we do catwalk. They were the nicest people. Cut to like six months later, maybe. We're in San Francisco. Our drummer, Tom, is super sick. Chris and I decided to, the show must go on. We said, you know, if you want your money back, you can have your money back. We're going to play the show as a duo. Tom can't make it. So we're playing the show and it was pretty good vibes. I mean, people were like, oh, I'm glad that's still doing a show. We kind of reinvented the songs. But there's this guy going, Bill, Bill, in the audience. And he's holding up a sign and it says, Catwalk. Why? <laughs> and I mean, this guy had gone through the trouble of making a sign yeah. to hold up. At oh the my show. God. That's I awesome. Like, I feel like that was just you from an alternate universe. <laughs> <laughs> you connected with that guy through catwalk. I mean, that yeah, guy, exactly, yeah. I mean, you, you pushed a button where he took the time to make a sign and bring it to the, bring it down to the club. You yeah. should have turned it around on him and said, why were you watching it? <laughs> I have stories like that, but I won't. <laughs> Well, so you did it, though. Know. You sold your soul and you went on catwalk and it, it worked uh, we, out. We sold our soul. Well, the, the other story I was going to say, what you reminded me of, is like we, we did this Pontiac commercial. Uh, <clears throat> we did a couple of commercials. Really? Yeah. Don't tell Neil. Wow. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Good point. Um, yeah, I was, uh, we had signed this publishing deal. And um, first was a Nike ad, which is now my son is 16. And it's, it's Michael Jordan to our music. And, I found this ad for him. He's like, wow, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But the other one was this Pontiac ad. And it's just, the, it's just our music. It's not our vocals. It's just, the, it's like Soda Jerk, this riff. 
And uh, this drunk woman costed me outside of a Chicago show, and she's like, uh, uh, why, are you, why did you sell out and do this commercial? I was like, well, I'm kind of trying to explain the nuances of a publishing deal and trying to recoup your money and being able to make records. And, and, she's, and her friends are like, you know, don't, don't bother with her. I said, well, you know, what do you do for a living? And her, her friends laugh and are like, ah! And I'm like, what? She goes, I, I'm like, what do you do? She goes, I'm in advertising. <laughs> of course. Oh, that's great. So, that's, that's become way more acceptive than it was uh, in the 90s or even like the early 2000s. And we talked about this when we talked about Neil's This Notes for You album. Yep. How the the perception has changed and bands have kind of used it to their advantage to maintain some uh, a little bit of independence in their creativity, like the Black Keys or Vampire Weekend. Well, and nowadays there's not many other routes for actually making money as a band. Right. I mean, how bands if, get if, discovered sometimes. Yeah, if, now. If, if Luke and I could get to find the the right avenue into that, we would take any kind of deal they threw at us. Sell my soul in a heartbeat to yeah, get a so song that. on a commercial. I mean, two two of my heroes were so you know virulently anti-commercialism uh, like that like like with that specific instance one was tom waits and one was um and tom waits had a famous lawsuit against um, frito-lay for using a sound alike <clears throat> and and neil but these guys were they had the benefit of coming up at like the perfect time in right. the record industry and they both had really artist-friendly development deals like so neil had already had a history of course with buffalo springfield but you know you signed to warners and lenny warrenker and, and mo austin and those guys they were fostering guys careers and and tom at asylum so you know you could really have time to develop and you had advances and you could be out on the road and, and it was a time where people were buying records um yeah by the time we were doing it people were it was the height of the cd era people were still buying records but i mean you know, a band like us, we didn't have a huge hit. So um, we had taken a really good publishing deal and, you know, it allowed us to buy houses and things. And But, you know, we had a certain obligation to try to be reasonable and hence these conversations about like catwalk or whatever else, you know, right. touring with bands we didn't want to open with for like live or other bands. It's like kind of got to play with the record. And they, they left us alone to do whatever we wanted on our records, by the way, because we were signed to Beggar's Banquet uh, in the UK and they licensed us to these US labels. Oh, okay. Nice. But Neil, but Neil, you know, Neil benefited from the perfect time in the record. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is it yeah. true? Is it true? I, I've, I've read this in a million reviews, but Buffalo Tom, that, that comes from Buffalo Springfield, right? Well, we liked the resonance of it. It didn't come directly from that, but we were like, we were looking around. We, we had a gig, our first gig, and we needed a name, typical band naming. Thing. We needed a name. <laughs> and uh, a friend of ours was doodling and drawing all kinds of stupid things and, and coming up with stupid names. And one of them was like Buffalo Bill and the blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Bill. And then we had Tom, our drummer. And he's like, oh, instead of Buffalo Bill, let's call it Buffalo Tom. And I liked it because it had this sort of Western thing, but certainly the Buffalo Springfield resonance, which, right. you know, Neil, um, for a lot of us, obviously we had grown up with them. We'd never, we, like, so, you know, Pearl Jam, uh, Nirvana, uh, Dinosaur Jr., we were all hugely influenced by that and you could hear it. Mm. So I loved that resonance of it. And I was like, well, it could be, we could have it both ways. It could be sort of funny to us, but also it's kind of cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, Buffalo Bill, I mean probably at the time of your band's naming. I don't think the movie was out yet, but I don't know if you want the Silence of the Lambs 
Uh, yes. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Similar Google searches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for those people that don't know who you are, uh, Buffalo, we're approaching 30 years for Buffalo Tom, aren't we, at this point? I'm sorry, say it again. You, um, are, are we approaching 30 years for Buffalo Tom? Yeah, we're at the, we formed in 86. So 20, yeah. uh, 34 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And so, um, and then you guys really, you know, you, you, uh, you were doing it full on through the 90s. Um, and then you've also, uh, as well as putting out albums and solo albums, you've written a couple of books. Uh, you wrote a couple of great books on the Stones, uh, the 33 and a third series book on Exile on Main Street, which is great. If people want to get into that, that's that I learned a lot from that book about the stones and, and where they recorded it and how I should be listening for people in the background, like, you know, clinking glasses and plates and stuff like that, you know, because they were just recording in every room in the house. And then another one about the stones called Rocks Off, uh, the 50 tracks uh, that tell the story of the Rolling Stones. So since you wrote all this stuff about the stones and you're a real expert on the rolling stones i thought well what you should have them on a neil young podcast <laughs> well i mean there's, there's nobody that's more uh, influential to me on guitar and songwriting i think than, than neil young and 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 far more of a direct influence on the band buffalo tom than the stones like chris and i are huge stones fans um and and tom to a somewhat lesser extent but you know like chris and i grew up gigantic stones fans and, um, and, but now Tom and I are the big Neil Young fans, whereas Chris is sort of like an ambivalent Neil Young fan, um, loves a lot of Neil, but I don't think he's like, like Tom is probably even a bigger Neil Young fan than maybe I am. But um, as far as a guitar playing thing goes, and specifically within the context of Buffalo Tom, which is a trio, Neil's playing is fundamental to me. And, it, and that's how I learned how to play guitar. More because Keith was esoterically tuned to an open G and trying to get yourself to sound like Keith is very difficult to do unless you know the tricks, which I learned later. But, um, you know, Neil was pretty easy for a guy learning how to play guitar to at least approximate. Yeah, yeah, I can, you know, Buffalo Tom, definitely, there's many, many moments that have a crazy horse vibe. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Throughout the, your, your records. And um, what, what was your entry point into Neil Young? What was your first encounter? with the music? Um, well, it was always there. So I grew up, I, I was born in 66. So I mean, like, um, you know, Heart of Gold and that sort of Harvest stuff was on the, on the radio. Um, and then FM obviously became a big deal in the, in the 70s. I grew up on Long Island mostly until I was like 16. Um, and FM was a big deal down there, especially like WLIR, which, you know, was kind of a rootsier uh, alternative kind of station then became a full-on you know like wfnx type station up here in, in boston and k k rock or whatever but anyway um neil was sort of always there on the radio but my personal so i i was the oldest of five so i didn't have siblings uh, older than me to turn me on to stuff i was the one that was responsible for turning <laughs> my other kid the other kids on so but my brother paul's two years younger than me the between the two of us we had like the first two records we had were uh, Decade, of course, and, um, and uh, Live Rust. Um, and I had seen, so we had this great, <clears throat> by the time I was like 13, 13 or 14, we had this great movie theater in downtown Huntington, New York, which is where I grew up. 
it was called the Balcony Theater, and, and these guys had taken over this old vaudeville theater and, and turned it into the, you know, there was going to be, there was going to be other things, but they, one of the things they did was turn the upstairs balcony into this midnight slash rock doc slash cult flick. Yeah. And it was the education for me. I saw all those major movies, and one of them was, of course, Rust Never Sleeps. And mm. so that was, all of these things happened probably within the same year, those three records, uh, those two records, and, and this movie. Yeah. I think the, that decade, I think both of those records you mentioned to me, those were Live Rust anyway, was my big time entry point into Neil. That and everybody knows this is nowhere. And then you guys always say decade. Yeah. It's like the entry point for you guys. Like that was the one that turned you guys on too. So, well, I don't know if there was a resurgence of it, but decade was just the most graspable. Like when I was pumping gas, I think I said the, the, manager of the gas station had six cds and one of them was decade and it's the only one i like so i just played it over and over again and i just really love that album i remember like uh when i was a senior in high school by the time i was up in massachusetts i was visiting my friends um who were a year ahead of me already up at umass amherst and they had like a show at the local wzzz which was like the southwest dormitory radio station it wasn't even campus wire station it barely got out of like southwest yeah and I remember my friends, these guys, these new, these guys, these newer guys I was meeting from other towns, uh, going to do their record show, and they were selecting the records for the record show, and they're going through the crate, and this wise ass guy who I'm still buddies with, Chris says, uh, "Hey Bobby, can you give me a hand with Decade here? I don't want to get, de- <laughs> I want to get Decade." <laughs> Just making fun of the size of a triple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is ridiculous. It's so good. It's such a great greatest hitch record. Oh my god. It is so, uh, it really nails Neil's career up until that point. It's not just the greatest hits. It really is a, a great overview of his career. That's why I like it, because it's not just your normal hits. You know, it's, it's so Neil. It's just, just so, it's right. such a Neil hits album. You know, everyone else would do the typical his, thing. And... It's got his idiosyncratic sort of writing and scrawling and expressions yeah, yeah. in there. And right. when we did our own like A-sides and B-sides collections, we, we really kind of took to that. We said, oh, I love this idea of like the artist commenting on each song. Mm. And those comments are still in my brain, those Neil Young um, commentary, like mm. you know, uh, about Harvest, you know, like um, I found myself getting closer to the middle of the road. So I, th- I, I drove back into the ditch where mm-hmm. I've remained ever since. Or something yeah. Like that. yeah. Yeah. That's something it, that uh, you really, you know, you don't get with, streaming or with files that's something that's really yeah. missing although you know vinyl has made a, a bit of a resurgence oh yeah not as not as mainstream as it used to be but you know it used to be you would sit with those liner notes and just read them over and over i know? like that the on it, on rust never sleeps too he has a lot of that shit with the road eyes and everything and uh mm-hmm. he has all those crazy scribblings i love that shit too that that stuff draws you in you know and that's that record, uh, especially as like a 13 or 14 year old guitar player, just forming his first band, second, you know, we were my first band. <clears throat> that record was so important because it really, not the decade, but the decade was as well, but, but, but Live Rust specifically because it had the, it had the acoustic and the electric sets, mm. right? Yeah. And yeah. it was like the dead were just doing that at the same time with, with um, Reckoning and mm-hmm. that's, it was like, and it was before unplugged. It was like to right. me, you know, all yeah. I I could discern the acoustic guitars and Led Zeppelin and Stones records as well. I knew that it wasn't one or the other, but it was really cool to hear sort of this acoustic stuff, yeah. you know, and the crazy electric stuff. It wasn't just like 
electric. It was like crazy electric. Yeah. Back and yeah. Yeah. I think stomping. I don't think anyone has ever done it as well as Neil, as far as an acoustic thing and then just fucking bananas electric, you know? He, yeah. Because yeah. when he does, because we've seen him a couple times, Luke and I, and, and both times he's done that. And it's just so, it's just, both sets are move you in such different ways and he does it so well where he does that acoustic thing and he'll just have the guitar and the harmonica and you know he's just playing some of the classic stuff and you're just like oh man you, you want to cry because it's just so raw and emotional and and fucking it just it touches you deep and then or even when he does like an organ just him on an organ you know doing like after the gold rush and stuff and then when he brings in the band and he's just fucking playing like a 24 minute solo on the electric and you're like you don't give a shit cuz you're just so lost in it and the band is just with him and and them and that is the the new thing and it's just I don't think I've ever seen anyone do it as well you know he just really yeah. captures the that like duality and specifically when he plays live he was one of the yeah. early um the earliest guys uh, to get a, a brilliant acoustic sound, like mm. really natural. I remember seeing him at Great Woods down here in you know one of the shed tours. Um, the Indigo Girls opened <laughs> somewhere in the early 90s. And he's wandering the stage. He's got the pump organ, like you said. He's got like trillions of acoustic yeah, guitars yeah, up yeah. there. Right. And he's just wandering the stage. I think he's even maybe had the headphone mic on or something. Uh, but he's got such a beautiful acoustic sound, which you know, it was challenging back then. It was like, he was the first guy to have, I've got, now we have all have it in our acoustic guitars. These are sort of like split systems of the microphone. You know, he was such an innovator. And it's <clears> funny because <throat> I'm, I'm writing a, my third book now about um, Leon Russell. And, you know, you think of these like sort of, you know, woolly hippie type dudes as like being sort of back to, <laughs> back to the basics. And, and there is that, but they were also very forward leaning, hence mm. Leon, I mean, hence uh, Neil's trans or whatever else, but also his Bradshaw pedal system. Mm. You know, he was always like on the, on the, on the forefront of, of technology. And then, uh, you know, to crazy uh, Pono kind of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Sound has always been really, that's been one of his things. It's like, it's got to sound a certain way to him. Yeah, you know, the sound is yeah, always I mean, the most important. He has thing. that system where there's yeah on the archives. Yeah, you can make it high five. No, no, but I mean on his amps, like his. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Instead of just setting the amps, he's got like something that something that turns the actual knobs. <laughs> so he's got like these. So his, you know, I think he still uses it. So, you know, he hits a certain he hurt he sits he hits a certain pedal on his Bradshaw pedal board, and something on like the deluxe I think he uses or maybe Princeton amps or maybe the original I think he's got an original twin low watt twin amp. It actually turns the volume all the way up, so it like breaks up and it's like wow. a mechanical thing. You know? Yeah, I mean we we've talked about that before. How he always seems to have his finger on the pulse of, but he, without him even really knowing it, with him just. It just feels to, like feels like he's ahead of it almost too. Yeah, you know what he, I mean? It's like he influences shit that comes. You know, he, drives, he doesn't he really get him. doesn't yeah. really get credit for it. But you know, he was fucking around with turning like that whole link fault thing. You know, where he was doing the his car and hit that old oh, yeah, yeah. to to try to make it like half electric and everything. And he had like his Pono before it was Pono. He had his system installed in the link fault. 
So he was kind of blending all that shit. And yeah, like you said, he's just an innovator. And, and he, he people don't really know. A lot of people don't. They think Neil Young. They think old man, whatever. But he don't, they don't realize all the that crazy innovative shit that he's done, you know? Yeah, like yeah. Even the stuff you're bringing up, I, I've, I've done a lot of needle research, and I, I didn't even realize that that, that you're yeah, talking I mean, about there. He almost, uh, yeah, he's a visionary, and yeah, he, he almost, um, I think he launched this guy Bradshaw's career, and now, uh, you know, Bradshaw is this guy that made these custom pedal boards. He start, I think he started with Neil's. He's like Neil's, like I want a thing where I can hit this button and it does this, and you know, and and why not? And then we got into like in the '90s MIDI guitar guitar things. You could set all these different things, and I went way down that path before coming back to sort of the basics again. Um, but but because Neil Neil really sort of had this thing. It's like I didn't I don't want something that's a facsimile of it. I want to use these old '50s pieces, but I want them to do this now. Right. You know, instead yeah. of like having a guy go turn up the knob, I want you know. So it, yeah, he was. Uh, he he's like, he he he's, he got the power to sort of and the money to sort of like make it happen, right? So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we yeah. always like to say on this on this podcast that, you know, we we have a theory that Neil is a time traveling vampire <laughs> that he will go ahead and then he'll try to bring it back and you know use it in the seventies or eighties or whatever <laughs> it may be. And oh my god! Uh, yeah. You know, and imagine, he's, imagine bringing the things he has back to yeah. Right. Yeah. And trying to incorporate <laughs> them in there. Now, um, it, Bill, I got to put you on the hot seat for a second. I mean, you claim to be such a huge Neil fan, but I don't think Buffalo Tom has ever done an album fully through a transcoder. So I, I didn't make that claim, by the way. I am, but I mean, I mean, here's the thing: it's like you read a couple of books too about somebody, and all of a sudden people come to you and say, like, "You didn't know that they did yeah, this." Yeah, and I yeah. I'm like, no, well, that, I'm not an expert. It's this is just my point of view. This is my research. No, right. totally. Well, that's what that's this podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we we're my, not. Yeah, you know. We even yeah. in the theme song, it just talks about how we're just talking out of our ass because we love Neil Young so much. What's his message board like? The Thrasher or whatever Thrashers. They Thrashers wheat. Yeah, oh, Thrashers they come wheat. after you guys. I yeah. a few people have. Yeah, but what? I don't give a shit. We got but jobs I do, and kids and stuff. You I, know, we gotta. <laughs> yeah, I am curious though, Bill, because you guys started in the mid '80s, and. Neil was, like you said, a, a pretty big influence on you. And we've, we just came out of the eighties and we, for the most part, still have PTSD, um, like from Neil's albums at that time. But do you, Geff, the Geffen years, Geffen years, do you have an opinion on those? Did you like them? Or did, were they, did you kind of miss them? And then if, if you didn't like them, how a lot of people are talking about how much, uh, what is it? Ragged glory, like really kind of knocked him over once it came out. And that would have been kind of coinciding with you guys kind of riding into your, where where you kind of, where you kind of came into the limelight a little bit in the early '90s, so yeah. Um, to be honest, I mean, you know, the whole Geffen suing Neil Young for not sounding like Neil Young uh, thing. Mm-hmm. I, I I I I knew trans a little bit, but I, I it's more like I know, I know trans later as a as somebody that went back and appreciated it. I don't remember it coming out so much. I mean, I, and you know, you, when you're between the ages of 14 15 16 to 26 you're like you're moving on to things pretty quickly right yeah. your mind is as, as open as it's ever going to be and to me neil young i didn't make any decisions i still listen to neil young but i don't think i you know and, and you you're you're on a limited budget during those years so uh, and back then you know you what there was no streaming i was i was taping other people's records but i don't really remember 
<clears throat> a lot of that stuff. I mean, Hawks and Doves was kind of like the one of the last things I sort of remember contemporaneously um, mm-hmm. until, like you say, Ragged Glory. And then that was by the, that time the CD age and I was buying and we were in a band and I, you know, I was making a little bit of money. So I was, and I was getting a lot of free CDs as well. So, mm. so that, I, I honestly had kind of a jaundiced view of like this going, it's like a push and pull. It's like, he's really innovative. You kind of want to see like this Bowie arc of people that just keep going and not looking back. And, you know, that's how Jagger's own sort of vision was in Stones. It's like, don't look back to a fault, right? I mean, Jagger was like all about embracing commercial things. Whereas I think, the, the vision of Bowie and Neil Young on the other end of the spectrum was more pure. And they were really following their own sort of um, <clears throat> muses, you know. I think Jagger was all about what's hip and what's commercial and what's going to keep me forever young and having sex with 20 year old women, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like he just couldn't get any satisfaction, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> oh, very good, Luke. Thank you. Very good. Not, not very good. <laughs> See, when the, those Geffen years is when I first started getting into Neil. So it's like I. You know, I, I had just like you, I just heard the songs on the radio. And then one day, I think it was WBCN. I think that was the radio station. And I came upon the middle of Down by the River. And immediately I was like, oh my God, who's this? And I thought it was because at that time, you know, BCN, they were classic rock, but they were playing some new stuff, you know. And um, I was like, who is this? And then I found out it was, it was Neil and Crazy Horse. And I was like, oh my God what have I been missing here? So I bought that album and I bought live rust and I was like, this stuff is, this is just fucking amazing. But at that time, trans was coming out. Mm. So trans is coming out. So I'm listening to this stuff and trans comes out and I'm like, Oh great. A new Neil Young album. And then I was just like, what, what's going on here? This is not, I was kind of like David Geffen. This is not Neil Young. This is not Neil Young music, you know, and then Landing on Water came out. I'm like, what's happening to this guy I just discovered? He used to like rock so hard. And now he's like, I don't know what it is, you know, that whole 80s. So it was weird. I was like playing catch up kind of, it was like a parallel. I was, I was like getting into tonight's the night and then Zuma and stuff. But at that same time, it was like, everybody's rocking was coming out, you know, and all, it was just like, I was like, what has happened? This guy's just, he's, I thought he was, that he was done. He was just going yeah. to inspire. I, I honestly don't know the records after Trans that were on Geffen like everybody's. I mean, they were on MTV like or whatever. I, I, I don't know those records very well. I never went back to them. Trans I went back to. I, I, I never bought it. Um, but I, I mean, this fast, this, this, I, I love the idea that, you know, first of all, I was a little, I probably was a little skeptical of him at that time because I was into Devo and Devo were a new young band. And to me, Neil was an old hippie. And he was like, sort of, like you said, a vampire, sort of <laughs> almost glabbing on to this, like, this new trend. It's like, and by the way, so many old hippies, and by the way, they were only 30 something, you know, <laughs> at this time. Yeah. But, you know, they were already over the hill. And they were, they, you know, the Stones did it really successfully with some girls. And then there were like guys like Steve Winwood, who, uh, and, and Jackson Brown, who are like, you know, kind of glomming onto new wave sounds or whatever and doing new wave videos. And, um, you know, I was a little skeptical of all of that. And I think rightfully so. But also, to me, what it comes down to are the songs. And I, I never really got too distracted by like the 
delivery of it so much. It's like if the songs were there and I want to listen to songs, I'll listen to the songs. But if it's like, but I mean, trans, I can't think of, I can't name you a song on trans, which is fine. But I mean, sure. we had Kraft record before that, you know, with Autobahn. Yeah. So why do I need Neil's version of it? I mean, maybe <laughs> I love the idea that Neil was trying to introduce this to his hippie audience, you know? Yeah. I will say I, and Russ and Mike, you guys can throw whatever you want at me. I went back and listened to Landing on Water again this again? week. Again? Why do you do that to yourself? I think I really like that album. I don't know what it is, but I like I, one good song on it. I think I got Stockholm Syndrome, but I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. To me, so far, uh, from what we've covered, that's, that's like his worst album. You know, everybody's rocking trans. And I, I, like you, Bill, I've come to appreciate trans later on, you know, especially after hearing some of those songs acoustic and, and knowing the story behind the album and stuff like that. But to me, Landing on Water was his attempt at trying to be successful like Don Henley in the 80s and getting Don Henley's producer and just trying to do all those studio things that Don Henley was doing to make his stuff radio friendly. And it just... And I you know maybe this was just another genre experiment for him, but uh, it just to me, I put it on. It just it just drives me nuts. Yeah, like had I known we were going to talk about it, I would have listened to it. I don't have that record, and I'm just looking up the songs, and I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't really know this record. I know Nico <laughs> Bolas uh, did the um, yeah the He's engineering the engineer and, yeah yeah which is and he and he did all this stuff pretty much from I think from then on he was with him for a while. He a yeah, he did like Freedom, and yeah, he did some really good stuff with him after that. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't Listen, know. Bill, don't don't waste your time. <laughs> yeah, we. I don't know why. Well, we're I'm gonna definitely it. go back because if it, if it if it alienated somebody, I definitely want to hear it. Yeah, if it gets well, this the, visceral reaction, then you you got to get curious. Like, I just yeah. want to, you know, I want to kill somebody when I hear it. So, yeah. But well, it's weird. It, I love I love the LP name, and I know the LP name from for all these years. But but I don't know. Um, I don't know the songs. <laughs> yeah. It's it's also funny too that we all sort of have our own that we don't really like and that we don't mind as much. Like each of us have our own different sort of thing from that era, you know. Like Mike hates everybody's rocking, but I kinda like it. Luke Well no, I I'd like I I, I like hate everybody's rocking. Everybody's rocking. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, no, I like the I like the idea of him going sort of doing rockabilly stuff. I mean, so much yeah. because the Stray Cats had broken at that point. So you mm-hmm. know, you had Robert Plant finally going, "Oh, I can do Elvis." I'm uh, that's all I love is Elvis. <laughs> and you know, you had Rock Pile doing sort of their their mm-hmm. and and yeah. even even Paul McCartney did a bit of rockabilly. I mean, all of a sudden that stuff was back. Um, right. And you know, it was the first thing that like you know I could put on a Stray Cats record, and my parents would be doing the Lindy around that, that was their music, you know? Um, but the, I, I was, I was, we started to go down this like sort of ragged glory thing. And that's where I actually started to go. Mm, I'm not so sure. I mean, oh, the whole okay. idea of like coming, oh. coming back to your, I mean, it, I, like, what well, is, is um, keep on rocking the free world on that one. That's on that freedom. freedom. The one before yeah, that, yeah. which, all right. So that's the song. That so it was ragged glory. Well, let's see. No, so ragged glory was right at, right after that. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like keep on rocking the free world. I'm like, I've played that a billion times with Theo Epstein at, uh, right, at yeah. so cool music. But I'm like, this is the this is a dumb rock song. I just, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm like, all right, he's calling out Bush or whatever. But it's like, I mean, keep on rocking in the free world. Is it satire or is it? 
I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, is this? Uh, I didn't know what he was trying to do. Yeah, I never, I never bought into that one. We actually question have that same question about a bunch of his songs. The most recent one was Western Hero on Sleeps with Angels. That was the last album we covered. And is that is he poking fun at like what heroes used to be as compared to the, what they were in the '90s or now? You know, is is it satire? Is it you know, or is he serious? But the thing about Neil, we love. I think when in doubt with Neil, he's being earnest. There's not a whole lot of satire there that that I can think of. I mean, the campaigner is a really interesting satire song. That's where that's like where people say, "Oh, he says even even Richard Nixon has got soul." I said, "No, you got to listen to the whole song." Yeah, it's a place where even Richard Nixon has got soul. It's a satire of that whole thing. Well, he does, he does touch that. Uh, he dials into that every once in a while. I mean, even, even with like L.A. where he's like, don't you wish that you could be there too? And he's kind of like. It feels in his tone a little you bit. You know, don't you wish you could, because it, it's smoggy yeah. and shitty. And he's kind of like, and this everyone wants to be notes, there. But... The notes for you is obviously satire. Right. right. So, I mean, it, but that's what I, I think, Mike, you were saying this a little bit, is, is that whole thing where we as the listener can't really figure out whether he's being ironic or sincere or a mix of both somehow. That's one of the things that I love so much about right. me, that it's, it's kind of hard to, to, fi- to figure any of that shit out. And, and so like you were saying, Bill, to me, a lot of the times is do I, do I like the songs? How, how are the songs? Do I, am I drawn to this song or not? And if I am, I'll listen to it. You know what I mean? And Neil always has songs. Uh, you know what I mean? He's an, a, a wellspring of just, right. Of, of other great songs. So if there is a song what? that's confusing, you can always find one that's actually, that touches you in a, in a really great way, you know? Well, what's the song that you can still listen to on Landing on Water? That Luke, um, Luke I don't pressure. know. That's the only song. Pressure is can... pretty good. I go, I go Hippie Dream. I like Hippie Dream. Oh God, I don't know how you do I don't that. know what it is, man. I like that too. And I just, I, what Luke. do you want from me? I don't know, man. Oh, and even the it. first track, what what uh, what's it called? I uh, don't mind the first one. Yeah, the the uh, oh, weight of the world. Weight of the yeah, world. Yeah, the world. something about what, it, man. What's the consensus of the podcast uh, team here on the best Neil Young album that everybody agrees on? Ooh. That's tough. I think we yeah. all hover around the same top. Five. I think. I mean, for the most part, we we enjoy one. almost one. Just one, Luke. Well, he's saying for all of us to agree on one. Oh, listen, you guys, all, you guys got to all go to a room tonight. You've got one Neil Young record to listen to while you sit around drinking, drinking some beers. What's that going to be? We all really like Tonight's Tonight. And, and also, we've all sort of came back to really, uh, really liking um, Time Fades Away. Time Fades Away. Yeah, Time Fades I Away. I might go Time Fades Away. Yeah, Fades Away might have been my third. It's a sneaky, it's a sneaky one. Yeah, people don't realize it's really fucking good, and it's weird because he didn't like it. Yeah, I think for years you love the the Doom trilogy period. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're big fans of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I'm a huge Ben Keith fan, so anything with Ben Keith, I'm I'm all about. I don't think Ben was on Time Fades Away. Yeah, he was. was. Yeah, was he? Yeah, he was. That was Stray Gators. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, so we had the Harvest, most of the Harvest band on there, and and that. Little bastard Jack Nietzsche and, and, uh, and yeah. yeah. Did you uh, guys go see the um, Heart of Gold movie? Not yet. I, well, I haven't. Wait, the one that came out like Jonathan ten years Demi- ago. Ten years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was I saw that on. I think it was on HBO. Like back then, I went to go see that at the Kendall Theater when it came out. At, uh, oh, nice. Cambridge. It was. It was a really emotional moment for me. I thought it was so great. Um, okay. That band is so so great and. 
I gotta check this out. Songs he really wants to do, and it was I, I, it's it, it was better than some of the live shows that I've seen of him. Like there are times where it's like and I've seen him. I don't know how many times over the years, but I saw him with with Wilco opening uh, at mm. the Centrum back. You know, I was at that show. Yeah, and I felt like I Wilco was amazing. I thought he was great too. You didn't like his performance? I can't remember who I disliked more. <laughs> Really? You didn't like Wilco? Oh no, I mean, I just remember uh, there, was a, <laughs> there was a quote that um, I went to go see Bob Dylan and Patti Smith at, at the Orpheum and, 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 and Gary Smith, the owner of Fort Apache and producer of the Pixies and Throwing Music. And he, he was there and he said, there were more, I said, he's about, he said to me, there was a lot of noodling up there. I said, yeah. He goes, there were more noodles up there than at Vinnie Testa's. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of felt that way from the Centrum show. I, 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 I liked, I mean, I, I went to go see, um, I think that was like probably one of the early shows with Nels Klein, right? Uh, for, with Will. Yeah. yeah. And I just remember like this whole sort of jam thing going on. I'm like, eh, eh. just like I, I went to go see Wilco. Um, and then I opened up for him back then, solo acoustic as well. Um, you know, during that sort of tour on, um, on being there, I thought this was like, Oh, this yeah. is bringing rock and roll back to 1972. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. And then I, I, I was like watching him open up for Neil. But I, I think I like that Neil show. I've seen other Neil shows where I'm like yawning through some of the jams with Crazy Horse. But, but anyway, this uh, Gold Rush show, I, that movie was really great. I thought. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's the one with Emmy Lou Harris, right? She's up there and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. I, so. I haven't seen it in ten years. I gotta watch it again. Yeah. We're we're hopefully gonna do an episode on the Jonathan right. stuff, you know, coming up here very soon. So what what about what well, so we're we're saying time fades away, right, guys? I mean that's yeah, the one I, that I'll go with that. I think we time I think as a threesome we would agree. Favorite consensus record. That's interesting. We, that I mean, one and, and American <laughs> Stars and Bars is one that keeps coming up for us because yeah. I don't know, it just it captures to, to me, and Zuma, yeah, and Zuma, Zuma's got Zuma. But it's just those albums are, you know, they may be a sloppy mess, but I think they're what I don't know. Even though he doesn't say it about time fades away, they're kind of what he was trying to achieve. That kind of he calls it sonic verite, you know, capturing a moment. And I think those do that yeah. really. Yeah, well. that's that's my favorite style of Neil those years. And um, yeah, and I really I, like him on the beach too. Is one of my my sneaky favorites too. And Levon's like my beach, one of my yeah. idols. So. I love the Levon's on. Yeah, on the beach, you take a couple of gummies and you sort of sit back and yeah. recline and you put the headphones on. Now. Yeah, exactly. It's it's got, got but I mean, for, for me, like sitting around with guys uh, or whatever people, um, Zuma has to be yeah. right Zuma, up. Yeah, Zuma's fun. Yeah. But I, mean, I, I think tonight's tonight. I think that's a that's one of his most brilliant records, I think, as, as yeah. a response to what's going on in his life. Yeah. Mm. No, well, Zuma's up there. Yeah. If I could just... It, it, see, I hear a lot of Zuma in a lot of what they, you know, people called 90s or 80s, 90s alternative rock. So like you guys and like Dinosaur Jr., Husker Du, you know, and Nirvana and some of those bands, you, you put Zuma on or you Wilco, put Wilco's first record. it's like a blueprint yeah. For, yeah. for those kind of bands. And for, for, you know, if I could throw Buffalo Tom in there too, you know, especially Zuma, 
you know, we when we listened to that album, I was like hearing all this, all these other bands that came out in the '80s and '90s, going like, all these guys must have listened to this album. Yeah. You know, well, we've mentioned Zuma and we've mentioned some girls in this sort of in this in this podcast, and um, so we did our arc was. Um, you know, first record, whatever. We don't, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Second record, we still don't know what the fuck we're doing, but we got, we got some other guys that know what they're doing, uh, Mascus and, and Sean Slade. But it was like, we're still, we don't, we don't have enough money to really, you know, let's just put on, we want a lot of guitars, so let's put on 18 guitar tracks. Whereas, you know, the, the biggest guitar records are one guitar, two guitars, you know, mm. Angus and, and Malcolm are the biggest <laughs> guitar records, you know. <laughs> um, you learn by doing. So then we, but then our third record was a bit more, you know, introducing kind of the layered or classic approach, the Stones, Zeppelin, that kind of acoustic and electric. Then we continued that arc with Big Red Letter Day, which we went out to LA and recorded with the Rob Brothers who owned Cherokee Studios, who were like classic 70s guys. And it was a classic 70s sound. And that's great, but it took us like eight weeks. And it was like, the reaction to that was like, <clears throat> I want to, this is how I got to know Nico Bolas. It's like, I want to go and make a live Tonight's the night, Zuma, some girls, you know, sitting all like these band, these these records that I knew were made predominantly live with almost like even live vocals um, in the studio, like set up because we we were a hot live band by that point. Mm. We were barely off the road, you know. So I wanted to capture that, and that's what we did with the subsequent record, uh, Sleepy Eyed, with John and Yellow uh, engineering and producing. But in the in the um, run up to that record I had, I had talked to Nico Bolas about maybe engineering it because he had done I think he had done a, Neil, um, a, uh, um, a Nick Cave record as well that I really loved so he was sort of doing Neil and Nick and uh, and he was like a real engineer we just wanted somebody to capture that rather than say oh you need a bridge here or you know bring the chorus back here you know that kind of thing what you needed was David Briggs he I talked to David there. Briggs I talked to David Briggs did you really I did yeah what that, was that, that, that like Cause I'm fascinated by that guy. Yeah. I mean, I thought I kind of talked to all these guys. Um, cool. Chris, Chris and I were each talking to these guys and I don't remember like how we decided thing, like who we ultimately, like why we decided to go with John and yellow, except that he worked with Sonic youth and dinosaur junior, a little bit more new stuff. But, uh, and I don't know if David Briggs was definitely available. Um, and there are two David Briggs, you know, people confuse the David Briggs piano player of Nashville. Uh, with the David Briggs who engineered Neil Young stuff. And it's, this, you know, there's these two guys. And I, I, I remember talking to David and he was like, yeah, he was a great guy. We talked to Lenny Kay at that time too, of the Smith, oh, wow. Patty Smith group. And, yeah. um, you know, in the course of making records, you talk to a lot of these guys and then it's only like 10, 20 years later, you go, Oh my God, I talked to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill, we really appreciate you coming on with us. And, oh, uh, me. Just a, a, just, I got a question and I'm kind of ripping it off from another interview because you didn't, you didn't mention Neil in this answer and I just was curious, but it was from the WFUV interview from a few years ago and uh, they asked you if you could choose anyone to cover a Buffalo Tom song, you know, what song would it be and who would it be? And you mentioned Tom Waits and you mentioned Van Morrison and a couple other people, but you didn't mention Neil. So I'd like to ask that same question. If you if Neil was going to cover a Buffalo Tom song, what song would it be, and what era Neil would it be? Well, I think this. Uh, well, I mean, it's hard to. Here's the thing about Neil: he returns to his different eras, right? So it's hard to kind of pinpoint an era. But I mean, if we're going to have to, I would say that sort of Doom trilogy, mid '70s era, 
where, and I think, I mean, to me, the most, one of the most Buffalo Tom Neil Young songs is our biggest song, Taillights Fade. Taillights mm. Fade, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's almost like those Neil chords. It's like that. Dum, dum, chank, chank, chank. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. an E minor nine, A minor D. I mean, those are Neil Young chords. There are very few things that I could point to that are as direct an influence as that one. And it's, it's our signature song. So I would love to hear Neil do that. Awesome. That would be sick. Yeah, that's that or, a good one. Or, or the song from uh, what was it called? Late at night. The one that was from you did on my so-called life. Yeah. To me, that's that solo in that song and that bridge is like you guys are totally channeling Crazy Horse. For sure. And you, you want to, it's funny you mentioned that song and it kind of bookends the beginning of this conversation, which was about my so-called life and that sort of thing. So we said, sure, we'll be on the show. Of course, we like that show. And my wife already knew that show. And, um, and we went to, uh, we were in LA and we were, <laughs> you know, Claire Danes was 15 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she and Jared Leto are, are in our uh, trailer. We're on the trailer for like, you know, the whole day. And they're like this, these extremely um, open and asking questions about to us. They were like these really curious kids. And they were just kids. You know, we were, we were well into our late 20s, I think, at this point, you know. <laughs> but these guys were like 15 and 16. And they were really sweet. Like Jared really wanted to know what it was like being in a band on the road because he and his brother had already started Rocket to Rocket Ship to Mars, whatever it was. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but you know, so we we do the song in the club, and then and then we see the the finished product, and it's great. They they start with my solo, uh, but then it kind of goes into them kissing or whatever, yeah. and they overdub this like L.A. session guy playing like what like oh, no. it's like Steve Vai kind of ultra sustain you know, like Japanese strat kind of sound. Um, and Chris, uh, it was, you know, I was, I, to me it was like, oh, this is like Richie Sambora here from, from Bon Jovi doing my oh, solo. God. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, awesome. we, got, we got such a kick out of it. I mean, I think if it had been anything else, we're like, what happened to, you know, we would sue somebody. But I'm like, oh, that's, Chris is like, you should learn how to play guitar like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bill, thanks a lot. And before before we, we go, you've got um, the virtual happy hour. You've been doing this since the beginning of the pandemic. You've been kind of having cocktails and playing a few tunes and mostly on Facebook, right? Facebook Live and stuff. But yeah. you've got one coming up from uh, Q Division Studios on the 26th, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing most of them from my home. And I, I took most of this. I took the whole summer off and... I've done two since the summer, but for the I did like ten in a row in the spring of last year when the uh, pandemic had just hit. But um, I figured everybody's gonna get burned out on these, including myself. Um, but I came back and did one for Thanksgiving, one for Christmas. All the proceeds went to the Greater Boston Food Bank. This nice. one, all proceeds would probably go to me, and then some to the <laughs> charity as well. Yeah. But I have to pay for the studio. Uh, but it'll be a bit more pro, and well, I should say a lot more pro. I, I should hope. 
Um, do, do you, uh, are you planning on, I know it's hard to do this these days, but are you planning on having any guests or anything like that? No, I'm, my wife will come along to help me make a cocktail beforehand. We have our little jibber jabber and, uh, <laughs> uh, she'll, she might play some maracas, but no, I'm, uh, I, I would love to get back in the room with musicians again. And uh, I mean, Buffalo Tom's got like, we've got like a decades triple album worth of demos in a Dropbox folder somewhere that we're ready to go. But um, we haven't gotten in the room together since, since it's all started, but I think we're all, we're almost there. And, and what's the, uh, I know you guys probably are obviously aren't doing anything this year, but hot stove, cool music. That'll, that's something that will, you guys plan on continuing when everything starts to loosen up, right? You and Theo. Yeah. I mean, Theo's now, um, you know, kind of not, ha- he just doesn't have a full-time managerial managerial job. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, my, my role is more emer- emeritus. Uh, is that the word? Um, Professor Emeritus. <laughs> sort of like, uh, I, I'd like to sort of hand hot stove off as much as possible and pop in from time to time, which I've kind of tried to transition out of, um, but I, I'm going to be doing a song. They've, they've done some virtual ones. I'm going to be doing a song actually from, from Q for the, for the March one. Oh, nice. Uh, but it will definitely, I mean, the beneficiaries of this, I mean, it's been, it's been such a success. And, mm-hmm. and, and these scholars, specifically the Peter Gammon scholars uh, from inner city in Chicago and Boston, these stories are, are so great that no matter <laughs> how stressful these events can be and how disorganized you always come back to, well, what is this about? Right. And when you hear these stories, you're like, how could I not do this? All I have to do is put on a guitar and play some songs. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, again, thank you very much for being on with yeah. us. If people want to, you know, pursue Buffalo Tom or your solo music, or maybe ask about a uh, specific home in the greater Lexington area. <laughs> you know, um, where would they go on the, on the World Wide web? Just, oh, to- just, you know, put in the Google machine, Bill Janowitz and somehow it'll all come. Yeah. I will say real quick before we end, uh, Bill, I, one of the things that I really do love about Buffalo Tom is your longevity. I feel like so many bands, especially around your era, just kind of dropped off and you guys keep putting out really good albums like quiet and peace is a really good fucking album, man. And was that two years ago or three at this point? Two, I guess. Yeah, and, and, maybe you're right. Maybe three. Three. Yeah, but I just, I, 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 you guys, I, I, I really admire your kind of, you know, you, you, you take long gaps if you feel like it's necessary, or sometimes it's, it's one after the other, and it's just kind of when we feel like there's an album, we make it. And I just think that's such a good way to do it because then you know. It's something that you want to put out there, and it's really good. So, well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate to be uh, to be in in, in in a collaboration with two really reasonable people. And it, you know, I think if we were if we were not reasonable, we would have sort of broken up in the in '99 and like had a reunion tour and probably would have made more money. And everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, let's, just, let's just go away for a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, but we really appreciate you taking the time, Bill. Thanks so much. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All yeah. right, thanks, All right. Awesome, Bill. Appreciate it, man. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 